Thank you for joining 12 Stone Church. This message is the first in a four-week series for New Year's titled, I'm Done, My Anti-Resolution. Please enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers this week's message, I Can. So welcome to the first Sunday service of 2019. Why don't you give your neighbor a happy new year high five? Here we are gathered together to worship and God has something huge for us in this new series. So let me ask you a question. Uh, what, what better thing could you do for yourself than to have some new year's resolutions to better your life? You know, the, the, the New Year's resolutions you probably already started into, like, uh, I got to lose that, you know, holiday five pounds, or I got to lose some weight, I got to eat healthy, I got to exercise. In fact, I came across uh, somebody writing their New Year's resolution. This was so smartly written. It's just a brief sentence, but I want you to hear it. I thought this was just, it made me smile. Here it is. <clears throat> Become as fat as I was the very first time that I ever thought I was fat. Let me say it again, because you had to think about it for a second. Become as fat as I was the very first time that I ever thought I was fat. Do you remember the first time you thought you were fat? I, I, I was one year into marriage. I was 22 years old. I'd been out of college for a year. I'd been working a real job. I hadn't been exercising. And I'd gained like, I don't know, four or five pounds. I'm like, I got fat. <laughs> New Year's resolution, get back to that weight when I first thought I was fat. That is smartly written. There's others, of course. Uh, spend less, save more. Uh, stop consumer debt. Those are, those are good ones. Uh, correct drift in my relationship with God. Get back to worship and prayer and, and, and God's word. Boy, I'd be smart. That, that's a good one. Uh, break that one bad habit. You know, if you could just deal with that, that would have breakthrough in your life. Uh, get back on track in my marriage or my family or my dating life. Well, those are, those are good. A breakthrough in my career. So, so on and on the list goes, and, and, and it's fair to ask, what better thing could you do than to establish New Year's resolutions to better your life? Kind of have a, a, a can-do New Year's resolution spirit. What if the better thing would be an anti-resolution with a I can't spirit? I'm not kidding. This next four weeks, we are going to jump into a series with the intention of challenging us not to a can-do, I-can spirit, but literally to an anti-resolution, I-can't spirit. And believing that that will do more to transform our lives than a mere New Year's resolution with I-can. Just, just walk through this. Because underneath, in the deeper places of our life, the things that really need to change, the things that would truly transform us are deeper things. They tend not to be the things we put on the New Year's resolution list. They tend to be the things where we've lost hope, the things that are the hardest, the things that demand the most, the things where we just really don't have the power to pull it off. We can't deliver on it. It's out of our reach. We would need the power of God in us, on us, through us. Ah. Maybe what we would need is an anti-resolution, I can't spirit. 
Let me illustrate. Grab your Bibles across the campuses online. We're, we're going to turn over to Exodus chapter 2. If you have a worship center Bible underneath your chair or, or, or you picked one up on the way in one of the campuses, we're going to turn over to Exodus chapter 2. It's page 57 in a worship center Bible or if you're on a mobile device. In Exodus chapter 2, we're going to start reading with verse 1. And we're going to tap into the story of Moses, but we're going to start this series with Moses' mom and dad, with his parents. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, where we find ourselves in this story is the nation of Israel has been enslaved by Egypt. And they're oppressed. And Pharaoh, the most powerful man of the known world at that time, has decreed that he wants this population explosion with Israel to stop. So, so if, if, if an Israelite births a female, she can live. But if they birth a male, got to kill them. In fact, in fact, some traditions suggested that they would have been thrown into the Nile to, the, to one of the many gods of the Egyptians. Now, verse 2. A man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, you know how serious this is. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Pause. In other words, rather than let him be killed because he discovered it was a boy, she had a can-do spirit. He had a can-do spirit. Like, okay, we see that God's involved in this. There's a sense of God maybe calling underneath this. Some, some believe by tradition that, that God probably spoke to him and said, I have something special. This is going to be the future deliver, fulfilling the prophecy, etc." We don't know all those details. We just know he was born, and, and she kept him with her for three months. But then we get to verse 3. But when she could not hide him, any longer when she could hide him no longer you see what's going on here she had this great can-do spirit but but this can-do spirit had great risk with it great risk because if pharaoh finds out if the egyptians find out that the boy's been born they could lose more than this boy they they could lose their other two children they could lose their own lives but they finally hit a lid a limit verse three but when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the nile his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Oh, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to the Pharaoh's daughter and she became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. <laughs> oh, you see what's going on here. They had this deep sense of I can, but then they hit a lid. In fact, in fact, what God did in the birthing of Moses is, is what we could call a transformation process. And I, I, I put in your notes, if you want to grab your notes and draw this out, it, it begins with, I, I can. That, that's where the whole thing is. I, I, can, I can deliver on this. That is to say uh, that, that Moses' mom and dad said, oh, oh we, can, we can deliver on this. We can keep them alive. We can protect them. We can make this work. We, 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 can, we, can, we can accomplish this. We can win this. We can do this. But it was about three months in, and they realized, and I can often turns to your own limits, and it becomes an I can't. 
In fact, literally a sense that, you know what, I can't deliver on this. I, I, we can't go more than the three months. This, this, you know what? This, this is over our head. This is beyond our reach. I can't solve this. I can't fix this. This takes a power beyond me, greater than me, more than what I have. I can't just make a resolution and it's done. I, I, I can't solve that. I'm at an I can't. I'm kind of done. And the very next thing that happens in the story is God can Ah, oh, see, now there are things that God can deliver on that we can't. In fact, God did deliver. In fact, God rescued him from the Nile, rescued him from the river. God had a plan that, that his masterful, unlimited resources and capabilities intervened and, and rescued Moses, did the very thing that his mom and dad couldn't do. In fact, you go a little bit further and you can see that, that it really became a weak hand. What God did in his, in his graciousness is he involved them to be part of, if you will, delivering on the promise, so to speak, of protecting Moses. In fact, mom got a chance to join in and nurse her own child and, of course, then had to send him along to, to, to the palace. And, and, and he became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. You know, that process right there is really a journey. We, we call it the transformation journey. And God used this to, to birth Moses, but God did more than that. God used this to build Moses. This is how God grew Moses up. And for the next four weeks, we're going to unpack this together. It's why you need to be here all four weeks. This is just, it's one of the series where one week won't do it for you. You're going to need the whole thing. And this isn't a, this isn't a journey that you make happen. Moses didn't make this happen. God made this happen. Moses' mom and dad didn't make this happen. God made this happen. And this is more than, than Moses' birthing. This is Moses' whole journey. In fact, you don't get out of this, grow beyond this. This is how God grows you up. This is how he transforms you. The dreams that you have in life and the dreams that God has for you, that includes your career, your finances, your marriage, your family. Desire to be used by God, a player in his kingdom. God's put stuff in you. God's called you to more and to things that matter. This is how he gets you there. The goal isn't to get beyond this. The goal of this series is to grow you in the wisdom and the grace to walk in this. I would have said when I was younger, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to grow out of this. No, I'm not. I, I have to grow into this. That's what we're going to do in this series. In fact, I could just lay it out for you and tell you how, the, how, how it's going to play out. Uh, we're, we're going to, in week one, move from I can to I can't. That, that, that's week one. And, that, and then we're going to go from I can't to God can. That, that's kind of the second disposition to understand in the, in the journey. And then from, from God can to, to we can. And then we're going to have an interesting conversation from we can to, well, where next? Because sometimes we take that we can back to I can, and God's favor brings us to kind of a self-reliance that undoes the very thing God designed to do. And could there be an escaping some of the deserts in our lives if we could just go to I can? Well, that's all coming out in week four. So let's talk about it. Week one, I can to I can't. In Exodus chapter two, we ended with the reading of verse 10. Let's go right back and look at verse 11. Let's pick up the story. Because this process, this journey, was not only his birthing, but his building. One day, verse 11, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? 
And the man said, who made you the ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, literally to go live in the desert. And, and that's where Moses spent the next 40 years. Now, hang on. We just read verse 11, and it began with when he grew up. That little short phrase covered 40 years. <laughs> we know roughly it was 40 years because Acts chapter 7 defines these first 40 years, and that's when he left Egypt. And in those 40 years, Moses grew up in an I can culture. He grew up in the most powerful nation of that time. And he was special, privileged. The adopted now son of the daughter of Pharaoh. That, that means that, that, that Moses grew up with a sense of I can. We have power here. We have capacity. And by the way, God's given you some I can capacity. God's put in all of us our own will and we get to exercise our will. We, we get to make some decisions and choices and they matter. When my wife, Marsha, decided to, to run in the New York City Marathon, which she did this past November, she had some choices to make all along the way. In the six months preceding it, she had to choose every day, am I going to get up and I'm, am I going to put on my, my, my running shoes and am I going to push myself? See, you got some decisions to make. Moses knew how to push himself and Moses was pushed. Moses was raised in the best of education of his time, the equivalent of, a, if you will, a, a Harvard-like or whatever you want to call it, education. He was given the best of the education. He was trained, no doubt, as a warrior. He had power. He had prosperity. He had pleasures. All, all this in the palace. And then privilege. His whole future was going to be a life of privilege. He just lived 40 years of privilege. He's got 40 more years of privilege, 100 more years of privilege in front of him. Huh. And in the midst of that kind of privilege, listen, in the middle of his success, Moses had huge success. And in the middle of the success, God interrupted and invited him to more. God said, Moses, you're in the midst, maybe at the peak of success. I want to call you to more and things that matter. Listen, I don't know where you are right now coming into 2019, but a whole bunch of us have a measure of success somewhere in our life, and we want to build on that success, and it might be just right in the middle of your success, in business, finance, or otherwise, that God interrupts like he interrupted Moses. He said, listen, I, I have more for you. I, there, there are things in life that matters more than what you're chasing. And Moses had to make some really important decisions. In fact, I put in your notes a, a couple of I cans and then discovery of the more important I can't. Let's look at them. The first I can. Number one, I can define my identity and my creator, not my culture. See, this is a great resolution. It's to change the source of your identity. Where do you find your identity? See, what, what we read in, in chapter 2, verse 11, is not only did he grow up, but, but roughly at the age of 40, he switched his, if you will, where he placed his identity. Twice in that verse, it, it, it says his own people, his own people. Do you see it both times? 
Look again at verse 11. His own people. In other words, Egypt was his own people for the first 40 years of his life. And that had all the power and prosperity and privilege. And now, and now, Moses is switching his identity and moving it to the nation of Israel. Where he has his roots, if you will. See, he's going to have to move from the, the polytheistic, the many gods that he was trained to believe in under Egypt and follow the one true God, his creator. Following God has real reward, but it also has real cost. In fact, I, I wrote something down. I wish you'd write in your notes. It's not in your notes, but here it is. If you want a life that matters most, you have to choose the things that matter most. I, just, I, I know it's simple, but I, it's, it's profound. If you want a life that matters most, you have to choose the things that matter most. Moses had to choose the things that mattered most. Look at what Hebrews chapter 11 says, reflecting on his life. By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic, soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. By an act of faith, he turned his heel on Egypt, indifferent to the king's blind rage. He had his eyes on the one no one can see and kept right on going. That's instructive. You see, we, we all have an upbringing that's on this side of the equation in the culture that we're raised in. And, and then we have the truth that our roots, our creation is from our creator. And you got to make a decision where you're going to place your identity. Perhaps for the first 40 years, Moses' identity was in his upbringing in Egypt, in the culture. Multiple gods. And by the way, we, we are really casual and, 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 and kind of dismissive of the cost on Moses. Listen, Moses was raised in Egypt and he was indoctrinated in Egypt. He was raised to bow to the many gods of Egypt. He was raised to believe that Pharaoh was a god and he was on his way to being Pharaoh perhaps himself. He was caught up in the materialism like anybody else. He was trained to believe things that were lies, but to him truth. For him to move his identity from his upbringing and culture to his creator, the living God, It's just a big, as big a decision for us. And we, we've been indoctrinated by our culture. In the schools and on the screens. We've been raised to believe things like there's no absolute truth. Everybody gets to create their own truth. Oh, well, we have all sorts of things underneath that we've started to believe. That's why many of us are too busy for God. Oh, I believe in God, but then we live like we don't. Because we say things on the surface, but underneath is our real belief. See, this was a massive breakthrough. This was transforming for him to say, you know what? I, I, I can put my identity. God says you're going to have to change where you place your identity. By the way, where do you place your identity? In fact, right now, I just, could, could we, I, I would just love to have you bow your heads. Just right now in the middle of the teaching. Can I, can I just have a moment of prayer? 
What would, what would, bow your heads before the Lord. What, what would 2019 look like if you would place your identity in your creator and not the culture? Well, could you, could you offer a prayer right now? Could you just, as you bow your heads, could you just say before God, a kind of a whispered prayer, God, help me see if and where I'm placing my identity in this culture or in my job or in my possessions, in my success, in my accomplishments, in my physical appearance, and other people's affirmation like through social media rather than you. Help me to see. Help me to see who and what I'm living for and where I place my identity. God, transform me in this. It's a big prayer. Amen, eyes back up here. See that, that, that right there, that was a great resolution. Changed the source of your identity. But there was a second one, another great resolution for him. And this is change what you fight for. <laughs> Oh, this, this. In fact, I, I put it this way in your notes. I can fight more for others and less for myself. I, I think Moses had to settle right there. I, I, I can fight more for others and less for myself. Not only, not only would that, did that switch represent, I'm going to move from, from putting my, my sense of identity in the culture to putting my identity in my creator first. And that's where I'm going to root myself. And I, I'm going to follow him and lean on him. But now, you know what? Because of that, I'm going to embrace his values. And, and I, you know what? I, I, I can be more about others than myself. I, I can fight for others. You, you see, for 40 years, Moses is, is no doubt learned to be all about Moses. I mean, he's been raised with privilege. He's, he, he's been living in the places that were built by his own parents and, 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 and the roots of his own Israelite history and, 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 and the whole generation. He's been watching them slaves, oppressed. And he's living in a palace. How could he help but be about himself? When he said, I now identify with my own people. See, those are his people. When God's your God, you identify with the different people. But then you join God in a set of values. And Moses became about others. When he went out, he began to see things. Lives of people cared about people in a way he hadn't before. Now you begin to care about the Israelites. They had a sense that God had called him to be the deliverer. And and, and scripture doesn't detail all that, but but it plays out in a way that we understand. It's clear. And God was transforming Moses. He was changing him from the inside out. Almost like saying, Moses, I didn't give you all that success, all that power, all that education, all that opportunity for your comfort. No, it's so you could do something that matters. Matters more. When you're less about yourself, more about others, you join Jesus. I think that's kind of what that scripture means in Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Be, be more like Jesus. And I watch that. I, I watch somebody practice, illustrate being about others over themselves. And it marked me. It happened during the New York City Marathon that Marsha ran. She was running uh, with some friends, Ed Bastion, a, a friend of ours. Some of you uh, kind of know the story here. And uh, she, he kind of helped get her in and open the door. And, and, and she helped raise some funds and run for, for kids with cancer. And, 
And, and so Ed and some of his friends and Marsha were at the, the, the beginning where the race would start. And, and, and one of the guys uh, Marsha met was this uh, guy who lived right there in New York City. He was an attorney. His, his name's uh, Marshall. And, and when she met Marshall, I, I got I to show it to you. It's kind of interesting. When she met Marshall, uh, he had uh, just like a like medical tape with his name right across the front top. And, so you could remember his name. It's Marshall. And, and, you know, they had a couple of hours, two or three hours before uh, their heat started. And, and on and on it goes. And, and, and Marshall, who had run probably like 12 times now, was a pretty good runner. Probably done it in like three, minutes, three hours, 30 minutes. I mean, the guy can run. This uh, apparently decided that, that he wasn't going to just be about Marshall. He's going to be about others. He's going to help others. Like he's a friend of Ed. And, and Ed, who had, who had uh, already injured his knee, uh, now had re-injured it in the run. And, and would have to walk some and get, get some medical attention and then get back in the race. And, and, and Marshall decided he was going to be about Ed more than about Marshall. And so, so he helped Ed along the way. And that was a cool part of the journey. And, and another time, uh, uh, he, he kind of came across a guy, a, a guy had flown in from the European uh, country and, and, and he had some medical issues. And because before being a, an attorney, he was an EMT, he, he just slowed down his own race and he took care of this guy and helped the guy recover and helped deal with the guy. I mean, just, just being, a, he's not in the race to get his best time. He's not all about himself. Marshall, he's, he's about helping other people. And he came to about mile 20 in the race and, and came across Marsha. And, and he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to help Marsha make it the way her last six miles. Obviously now Marsha's 20 miles into 26.2 miles and it's taken its toll. And he decides, I'm going to be an encourager. I'm going to be a helper. I'm, I'm going to come alongside her. So he just starts pacing with her. And he can pace and talk the whole time. And he's being encouraged. Man, you're doing great. Proud and he's telling her what's coming. like Because he, he's from New York City. And this is like a parade. I mean, like you're running. But there are a parade of people on all sides the whole 26 miles. And he's just having a great time. And he's telling Marshall what's coming in the race and what to enjoy and what to look at. And he's distracting her from the pain and giving her encouragement and fuel. Kind of raising up her spirits and getting her energy going, which is awesome and then along the way he says oh I want you to meet my wife and literally he knew where his wife was kind of along the run and introduced my wife to her and so this is all cool and very encouraging and then at a moment he said hey I have an idea let me show you something and, and she figured out why he had Marshall he ran closer to the crowd and when he got closer to the crowd he just put up his hands and they would yell his name Marshall Marshall go Marshall and they start celebrating him and he'd be encouraged he ran back over to Marshall he said I got a great idea watch this and he literally took his name off his shirt. And he said, you know what I could do? Watch this. I could take my name off, drop the two L's. And he handed this to her and said, put this on. And when she put it on, it said, Marsha. Now that's not the way she spells her, but it didn't matter, it's Marsha. And he said, I want you to be encouraged. I, I want you to, to kind of be inspired and he said, so now start running closer to the crowd. And she wasn't running close enough. He kind of pushed her over to the crowd. And now she's running alongside the crowd. And they can see her name. And they start yelling, Marsha, Marsha, go Marsha. And while she's running, she's getting cheered. This is mind-blowingly cool. In fact, when they got to the last mile, he said to her, he said, look, I'm going to run on ahead. I like to have a good kind of fast close at the end. And he started running ahead of her. And he said, you know what? No, I'm going to help her finish. And he slowed down. And they ran to the finish together. I know this because I was in the crowd filming. And I saw this guy talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, looks like she made a friend. They got to the finish line and she was wobbly. She's having some challenges. It's been a tough race for her. But she did great. So proud of her. I mean, she had strength, stamina. 
and, and, and she needed a blanket. And when they got to the end of the race, he went over to where they were putting the blankets over, over the runners. And, and, and he said, hey, she's going to need a blanket. She's, she's, she needs some help right now. And they said, oh, no, she doesn't have the, the wristband for that. He said, listen, my friend needs a blanket. She's in a little bit of trouble. You have over 50,000 people. You're going to have one left over. I'm, I'm a former EMT. I need you to give her one. And it's okay. And they put one over her. And then she got to her phone and materials and she called me up and I was nearby where to meet. She told me she's going to come meet me and she had a friend. And, and when she comes walking up, there's this guy holding my wife. Like, oh, who is this guy? But I knew he looked a lot like the guy who was on the film that I just captured at the finish line. He introduced himself, Marshall. He said, listen, I'm an EMT. I've been helping your wife at the end here. So proud of her. She's done great. Here's what you need to go do for your wife. He said, go again, get her some salt and get her some, some, some pretzels and get her some Gatorade and get her, and here's how you take care of her for the next 30 minutes. He gave me all the instructions. And then he literally, he handed her over. He said, I entrust your wife to you. And off he went. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then Marsha told me the whole story. In fact, I want you to check this picture out right here on the screen. This is one of the random pictures that got taken. And now you see, it's got Marsha on it. She didn't start the race with that, but she had that through the rest of the race. He said, listen, do you know what, you know what Moses did? Moses had to take his name off his shirt and put other people's names on them. Oh, isn't that a great story? Listen, if we, I think that's who we're supposed to be as the church. If we, if we as a people would figure out how to take our name off and seems like take, rip the tape off our chest of our own name and run around getting our name elevated and celebrate and make it about us, we might actually be transformed. We might impact the world. What if that's who the church is supposed to be? Can you, can you imagine if you, if you decided to start coming to church on the weekends and worship God, not for you, but for everybody else? And not come and see what you get out of it. And you decide when you show up, do you know what? You're just a self-appointed greeter. You're going to meet other people and care about other people. In fact, what if everybody at the church just kind of decided that you were coming here to honor God and meet other people? And when you did, you came to your campus at your service, in, in, at your service time, in your segment. And you're like, I'm just going to be a part of encouraging the people around me. Instead of saying nobody noticed I wasn't here on a weekend, you're like, you, you learn everybody's name around you. And, and you, you, you figure out, hey, if they're not there, what's going on? You get into their life. You care about them. You encourage them. Maybe you serve in children's ministry because you're about somebody other than you. You're helping the next generation or student ministry. I mean, what would the church look like? How transforming, how attractive would we be if we just ripped the tape off with our name and became about others? Maybe in 2019, that's what God wants you to do. Maybe you need to do that at home. Maybe you take the tape off with your name on it. And when you get home after work, you don't put, it's about me, I've worked all day. Because marriage never works when everybody has their own name on their chest. Family never works when you have your own name on your chest. What makes family work is that you take your name off and when you get home, you're about each other. Maybe that's what 2019 needs to look like. Hey, maybe, maybe it needs to be at work. You just take your name off and you put the name of coworker. Maybe, Maybe you need to put the name of somebody who is spiritually unresolved. And this is someone you're going to pray for and you want to see come to faith in Jesus. See, what turned everything around for Moses is that Moses began to fight more for others and less for himself. He took the tape off, put the name, if you will, of the other Israelites right there. I mean, 
those are great resolutions. Put my identity in my creator. More about others. But then things broke down. I mean, we read the story. Well, things broke down and he took the life. He killed the Egyptian. And then he buried it and thought everybody would recognize that he was supposed to be the deliverer. But, but they didn't recognize him as that. Again, over Acts chapter 7, it tells us kind of about that. And so nobody really understood that God had a greater call on Moses' life. And all the idealism of this transformation kind of turned ugly. And, and when it all turned ugly, there's a couple interpretations. Well, one is that, because like, what's really going on? I mean, after all, he took the life of the Egyptian. Uh, Pharaoh found out. And when Pharaoh found out, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And then he headed to the desert. And instead of being the deliverer for, for the nation of Israel, uh, uh, being freed up from Egypt and out of, under bondage, no, he ends up for 40 years in the desert. And then he comes back. God brings him back 40 years later in the midst of I can't and, and, and brings him back. It, what, what is that? What, what one view is that God intended that? What, one, one view of that story is that that God intended Moses to kind of be the deliverer for that particular individual Israelite. And God made him the judge of that Egyptian, took his life. And God intended that and knew that that would send him out in the desert where he would be trained for 40 years and be brought back to be the deliverer. That's one thought. There's another view. Another view is that Moses did this with an I can kind of resolution, kind of the same spirit he was raised with in Egypt. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense because I don't, I don't think Moses had been well formed yet. In, in the deeper faith. He'd been raised in Egypt. And maybe came with a little bit of that. I can make this happen. All right. God has spoken to me. God's called me to be the, the deliverer for the nation of Israel. I'll go make it happen. I can do that. And, 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 and if he had that. I can kind of make this happen on my own power. Perhaps the most significant thing that occurred next in his life, which would be true for us as well, is that he moved from an I can to an I can't. It was the discovery being sent into the desert, the wilderness, that you can't pull off the purposes and the things of God on your own power, your own capacity, your own will, your own way. And that maybe... The killing of the Egyptian was nothing more than like a New Year's resolution that came to nothing. And he ended up killing the very things he hoped he was building and transforming. And maybe it's, it's right there that he discovered that what's better than a New Year's resolution with an I can spirit? Maybe it's an anti-resolution with an I can't spirit. Maybe it's when you finally figure out that the deeper things, the bigger things, and the most important things will take the power of God. When Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branch. If a man or woman remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What he was saying is you can't do anything that lasts. You can't do anything that matters, really. You can't do things that have meaning beyond this moment. It will take the power of God. And you have many things in your life, things that God would love to do in you, through you, and for you, and even into the lives of others, but it'll take the power of God to deliver on it, just like God did with Moses in the river. See, his mom or dad couldn't deliver him. They could only release him into the basket 
and say, God, that'll take your power. That's not just how he got born. That's how he got built. He had to learn that I can't, I cannot deliver on this is perhaps one of the most transforming things. So put it in your notes. Number three, I can't deliver like God. I can't deliver like God. So, so while Moses had a sense that I was called to more, I can't pull it off. I can't make this happen. I can't will my way to it. I'm going to have to learn how to cooperate with God. Maybe that's the learning. Because if I don't learn to cooperate with God, if I don't move from I can to I can't, if I don't figure out how to cooperate with God so that the power of God can do things in me, through me, for me, with me, I'll never see the deeper, more significant things that matter happen in my life. In fact, many of us write quick little New Year's resolutions and they're not, they're not changing really anything. Because maybe while we're winning in business, we're killing our marriage. Or when we're winning in marriage, we're killing our family or we're parenting and we're not attending. Or, or maybe when, we're, maybe when we're, we're winning in one area of life, we're crashing in our character. And the truth is, we very rarely are honest enough to put on the New Year's resolution list the things that matter most that need to change most. In fact, many of us have lost hope, gotten quite discouraged, and don't always deal with the deeper things. And we end up winning and elevating the things that we can control and not paying attention to the things that will need the power of God to transform. Apart from me, you can do nothing that matters. Maybe, maybe the most important thing you could do this year is not have an I can spirit, but maybe an I can't spirit. And we're going to pick that up next week. That's why you need to be here all four weeks. But for today, what are you going to do with this challenge? So we want to have a, an honest to God marking moment with God. I hope you'll step into it with me. There's a card that's in the bulletin. You, you received one of those cards in the bulletin or you, you got it on the, on the way in. In fact, um, if, you, if, you didn't, if you didn't get a card, we'll put a picture of it on the screen and you can, you can go to one of the tables and the campus pastor is going to help you. They're going to instruct you through this. They'll, they'll kind of lead you through the detail. What I want to do before I throw it to the campus pastors is I want to give you a sense of what's at the heart of this. You see, and that card right there, we want to invite you to, before God, just have a moment of, I'm done. You know what? I, I, I'm done with all I can, and I'm, I'm willing to move to I can't. And so what you're going to do is, is you're just going to start to write maybe one, two, or three things that are very uh, public, things that you could talk about, things like, oh, you know what, one of my resolutions might be to, to lose some weight or get fit or, or, or work this into my budget or, or whatever the case may be. And those are things you don't mind other people seeing. So you'll write them out, and, and, and other people might be able to see that. No big deal. But, but what you're really going to do is confess that there are some places that are private. There are some of the deeper things, like my marriage is broken, my family's broken, my career's broken, my financial management is broken, I'm broken by addiction, I'm caught in pornography, 
I'm owned by my appetites. I make promises to God I can't keep. Ah, and you're not going to write those on this card. I wouldn't write mine. But there's one of them that you know is the deep thing. That, oh, if God would move, you would be transformed. And maybe all you're going to do is write on the card at the bottom on that side, I can't deliver. And we're going to present those before God and we're going to pray together. And this is going to be a meaningful marking launch into 2019, embracing the challenge of I can't. And discover as we move through the series, God can. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, you have that card right in front of you. Let's have a meaningful marking, transforming launch to 2019. Sing a song of trust from our hearts today. With every breath, with every word I speak, with every step, with every heartbeat. Oh Jesus, let it be for you, for you only, my whole life, all for your glory. Come on, let's sing. With every breath, with every word I speak, with every step, with every heartbeat, oh Jesus, let it be for you, for you only, my whole life, all for your glory. Come on, every voice. My life is in your hands. 
for it. 